Hello, this is Pixelated Playgrounds, a gaming book club podcast discussing the art and craft of video games. I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. And today, we're talking about V Rising, developed by Stunlock Studios. The game was released for Windows in 2022. And we're playing this one because uh, I guess it's the sleeper hit of the year. Um, for real, though, it's uh, easy to get into co-op game, and we all seemed pretty interested by it. Yeah, it was 20 bucks, and it was on the top of the Steam list for like two weeks straight, so had to see what this was about. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, nothing like a good co-op game to just kind of spend a couple nights together and grab a beer and unwind after work. Yeah, this is definitely one of those good hangout games. Um, I, you know, I, I know Josh, you and I did Valheim a couple, uh, I guess, boy, that was that early was 2021 <laughs> at this point. That's wild. Yeah. Um, but I guess a lot of people are sort of seeing this as like the next one of those to catch fire. And I see the the comparisons here. Um, you know, survival game in a different-ish genre. You know, that one being exploration, this one being the Diablo-like. I um, I enjoyed it. I thought it was uh, quite fun. Yeah, this is a kind of a hard game to describe as a genre um, because it does, I think, take a lot of influences both from these um, action RPGs like Diablo and then there definitely are crafting elements to it, but I guess it doesn't seem like super survival-oriented to me, and I guess Valheim wasn't either once you get your base going and everything, but I guess that's what we call the genre these days. Maybe that's because we played PvE and not PvP. I think that's a totally different experience, too, when people yeah. are trying to gank your shit all day. Then it's more like Rust and some of those other games. Yeah, you, you hit on a very a key thing that we should definitely... Uh, proclaim up top Clinton that we played on a PVE server with some pretty lenient rule sets because uh, we you know one don't have all the time in the world and two uh, really wanted to just see like more on the progression side of things and what the game had to offer than to have to like babysit a castle from roving bands of uh, aggressive vampire gankers (laughs) Yeah. yeah I ain't got no time for that no, no, I think none of us do, and I'm glad the game sort of made that available to us. So, all in all, a nice accommodation. Um, one thing I want to call it, or want to mention right up top, uh, this game has more in common with Valheim than just the survival aspect. It was actually founded by a studio, or created by a studio from the same town. Uh, both uh, Stunlock and Iron Gate, the team from Valheim, are based in Hovda in Sweden. So yeah, uh, and another interesting thing about that town, it's like the same size as the town that we grew up in, Josh, so not a big city. Like No kidding. About, yeah. <laughs> like what, 80,000 people living there? 50,000-ish. Um, yeah. So they were all talking about this at the bar when they were making <laughs> these games. That's probably why Ex- they're so common. So. Exactly. It, it, it strikes me that the, the game dev scene there is probably fairly um, tight knit. And there's other games that came out of that same town as well that I uh, was looking into. Uh, goat, the Goat Simulator people are there. Satisfactory people are there. Uh, the people behind Passepartout. And uh, of course, this studio, um, uh, Stunlock, has created a few other games. Uh, they've been around for 10 years. So they've been in the game a while, but this is definitely their first like mega hit. Man, I feel like that town, Hovda, is definitely punching above its weight. Seriously, could you imagine if like... Uh, three of, or two of the biggest games of the past uh, two years where it came out of our hometown. <laughs> like, that'd be <laughs> wild. <laughs> um, but uh, no, it's it's neat. Um, you know, this game obviously like had a really interesting approach and um, 
you know, they've always been like community focused at, at that studio, as I understand, looking back at sort of the games they created, a lot of them are multiplayer PVP focused games, and they're like huge on like community involvement. And this game hit a million Steam players a week after its launch in May. So um, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Well, the good news about doing this podcast is we typically give our spoiler warning at the top of it. Don't need to do that here. There is <laughs> The plot is not really a plot. You don't come here for the plot. Uh, but the summary of that plot is that uh, you awaken in the countryside after it has been retaken by the living. You're playing a vampire. You are back to vampire stuff. <laughs> That's right. It's your job to um, retake the the realm, uh, so to speak, for your you and your vampire brethren. Um, you know, when I first heard about this game, like Vampire and Survival, um, you guys ever play Game Dev Story? Uh, it was sort of like a little sim game where you mix a genre and a game type, and you like have a studio. Uh, if you mixed Vampire and Survival as a genre genre mashup or genre. Um, mechanics mashup in that game you would get a bad game like it doesn't sound like it should work at all <laughs> it did work out pretty well though i felt like it did i, I absolutely agree um for surprisingly like the, the mechanics and the um and the, the theming seem to like work a lot better than you'd, you'd expect them to um but to that end maybe we should talk a little bit about what you're doing uh, moment to moment in this game and a lot of that has to do with uh gathering crafting and building surprisingly Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're basically taking nothing and building your castle and then turning that castle into a domain. It's the classic, like, Dracula slash Bob the Builder crossover. Mm. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, you know, I, I was weaned on that practically, right? Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you start off just crafting some quick tools and armor from the bones of the skeletons around you, and then you quickly, you know, do the normal progression to leather and iron and... Um, luckily in this game, it, it struck me that crafting didn't require a huge amount of resources, but that might be a function of the server we were on once again. <laughs> it was our server, actually. Our server uh, really toned down the amount of time for craft crafting, the amount of resources for crafting, and the most importantly for me, the amount of blood that your castle took before it fell mm. apart. Yeah. Yeah. I think they changed that while we were playing, too, because I remember like my fully stocked uh, castle two full stacks of blood would let it last two days at the beginning and then by the time um we were finishing up it would last like six or seven days just off of two full stacks of blood so it feels like they toned down the decay over there which we'll talk about the decay for sure they definitely yeah. did but but it's important to know that that was the server that did that and not the game uh, we never did play the game at its at its base stats, but knowing what I know from how I felt about the way it was on, on the nerf stats, I, I don't know that I would have really enjoyed it much. It definitely re would have required a lot more time commitment just to keep things up and running. Like when I tell people I was playing V Rising, they're like, oh, what do you think about those crafting times? And because of the <laughs> server we got, I'm like, oh, they're fine. You know, I haven't yeah. <laughs> noticed them. Why are you asking me about them? I never noticed they're a problem. Oh, wait, they're toned down to an eighth of normal. Okay, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is um, kind of interesting how um, generous the, the game lets you be in terms of, like, custom rule sets. But I guess, you know, you're setting up a, a custom server, so why shouldn't you be able to, you know, adjust all of those things? I think we, you know, Clint, I credit you for finding this server. I think it was kind of exactly what we specifically needed um, in terms of, you know, PvE-focused, uh, light 
time requirements. Like, there was no way we were going to get as into this game as we did without that. Um, but you mentioned blood up top, and uh, maybe we should just talk about that a little bit, since blood is sort of a primary thing. You know, you have two types of blood. You have the blood essence that Josh was mentioning that is basically um, fuel for your base to keep it from decaying, and then there's the actual blood you're required, which is basically like a hunger meter for your vampire. Vampire food. Yeah. yeah, vampire food. I did like that they didn't just make it about, you know, life. Like, you have to consume blood to, to live and then stop there. They also had, like, different classes of people. And depending on who or what you were feeding on, you got buffed in different ways. Which I thought was yeah. a neat, like, side effect, too. Interesting that, like, it wasn't just the type of blood you were consuming. Like, oh, I'm going after a rogue, or I'm going after a warrior here, or a creature. Um, but also, like, they had a quality level, and the higher quality blood netted you more buffs and bonuses. Yeah, I, I like this, too. And, um, you know, there were six types, so it, it wasn't, like, very a, a slight thing at all. Brute, creature, rogue, scholar, warrior, and worker. And it struck me a little a little interesting that it was kind of random, like, who would have the quality blood. Like, you could find just a random mob that had, like, 80% rogue blood, or a deer that had 100% creature blood. And or like, you find oh. the world's <laughs> best peasant That's right. sitting there at 100% peasant blood, working in yeah. some cabbage field. And you're like, that's my snack tonight. <laughs> yeah, as, as the game sort of progressed, you could, you know, really delve into this blood mechanic a lot more and end up um you know imprisoning uh different types of these people so that you can have a ready uh stash of you know high percentage class blood for whatever uh you know type you wanted to be at that point uh which i thought was interesting too you could sort of spec your character just by what they ate you know i never built the prison but if you put do you know if you put someone in there was it reusable I don't know. I didn't actually get that far either. I just uh, was reading a bit about how folks had handled that situation. Um, yeah, worth worth a disclaimer here. You know, we're playing, or we played mostly throughout the month of June 2022. So uh, timestamp that, given this game's probably going to have an active dev cycle. Yeah, mm -hmm. I guess we never really mentioned at the top that this is early access game. Although, um, for early access, this was pretty well polished. A lot of games are these days. Like, if you put a game out into early access... Um, you don't get much, you're still on a pretty short leash as far as gamers are concerned. I think it's different than it was even three years ago. I'm glad because that was a little too loose for my taste. Um, <laughs> but I will say this was very polished for, for being in early access and I, and I was pretty happy with it. The only thing I will say, so we got through, I would say mid game, um, is about to what we got to. It took us about 20 hours. At least that's about how much time I have in it. And, uh, Word of caution, if you do play on one of these specialty uh, servers, just be forewarned. It could all be deleted at any time. We went to go play one last <laughs> session the other night to find that our server was gone. So uh, if you're going to play this and you're worried about that kind of thing, either have your own server or play on an official one because they don't last long. You're also able to roll your, like, uh, do a, like, you can rent or buy a private server but you could also do a kind of like a local game where mm -hmm. you know you're guaranteed not to lose anything then yeah you can always uh you know as you said josh have your own a private server this is how we played valheim our friend maddie actually hosted the server uh, she was kind enough to uh, allow us to download the uh 
the map data as soon as we or as soon as the, that was shut down, which was a nice sort of graceful transition into uh, solo PVE rather than the community-based version of the game. Yeah, I'm a little bummed. Like I, we did all that stuff, and my you know built the base out just the way we liked it, and then it's just randomly <laughs> gone one day. I don't know. I wasn't necessarily going to go back and play it right away, but it kind of makes me sad that it's not going to be there anymore. Time is fleeting, like your vampire. No, man, he's supposed to be eternal. What the fuck happened? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'd walk away from this game for five minutes and, oh, there, my my vampire got fried to a crisp by the sunlight <laughs> and the shadows moving around. This game is is rich in mechanics, and, and so far we've really only talked a little bit about blood and, and crafting, but there's a whole um, you know combat aspect, base building aspect, so maybe we should continue to dive in um, to I that agree, end. But I do want to bring up one more point, Josh, to what you just said. This game, for a lot of reasons, if you don't have spare time on your hands or, you're easy, or you have to jump off and do other things sometimes, this is not the game for you. One, you have to constantly maintain your base. Two, like Josh just said, if it's daylight outside, you can fi- you can park yourself somewhere safe, but the sun moves and so do the shadows, and then you can come back. There is no pause, so you can come back and your guy's fried. Like, this isn't a good day, uh, good game for dads necessarily. If you have to like walk away for a few minutes to take care of things and come back, you're gonna be disappointed. Now, Clint, I know that that made that the the sunlight thing made this game inconvenient for us in some ways, but sure. I actually really liked that mechanic. It made moving around the world a little interesting, like, oh, do can I make it to the shadow across the bridge? Um, what this mechanic was, was this game has 3D shadows, except because you're a vampire, you can't stand to be in direct sunlight for too long. Um, so y- there were a lot of combats I would be doing, or boss fights even, where like because I was too lazy to wait for nightfall to happen. I would just fight them in the middle of the daytime, and I'd have to be, like, jumping from tree to tree, hiding in its shadow, launching my skills over there. Those were fun fights. That's probably what I'm going to be remembering the most about this game, is, like, desperately trying to win a battle during the sunlight hours. You just overestimate a little bit about how long that fight's going to take you, and all of a sudden you are in a completely different phase, and you're you're sort of on your back back foot. Um, I also really like the disparity between night and day, just in terms of how it looked. Like they really made the night feel appealing, and like you belonged there, and they made the day sort of um, harsh. Harsh, yeah, yeah. very <laughs> harsh. Um, and, you know, they gave you kind of advantages at night, too. Like, humans wouldn't spot you as easily at night, and uh, you would find different kinds of enemies at night and then during the day, too. So, all in all, like, a really well-fleshed-out night-day system, and, you know, the art direction on the day-night and the lighting, as you mentioned, Josh, is top-notch. Yeah, they really crank up a, a sort of a bloom filter when that sunlight's coming down on you, and normally <laughs> I'd complain about something like that, but this like light is literally killing you, so I like the UIQ <laughs> for that. Yeah, you mentioned the one thing you're going to remember is that desperate boss fight. The one thing that's going to be literally seared into my brain is the sound your sizzling skin makes when the sun hits. <laughs> <laughs> like a steak mm, on crispy. the grill. <laughs> Yes, indeed. Um, but uh, as annoying as that that could be, it did um, 
you know, it, it had its good moments too. Uh, I did find it a bit obnoxious that like my mighty vampire had to spend several hours in a roofless barracks on uh, uh, wooden barracks on land I cleared, hiding in the shadows on the side of it to wait for nighttime. But you know, it's all part of starting off. Those, uh, it's like the first night in Minecraft thing, you know, just sitting in a four by four shack waiting for the zombies to go away. But yeah, speaking of bases, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about one of the hallmark uh, mechanics and systems in this game, which is building your actual castle. And that starts with constructing your castle heart. The castle heart is the first building you put down, and then you start claiming border land around that. And this is a kind of like a large tile sort of placement. Um, once you get the borderland claimed, you can start putting up structures, including walls, floors, and ceilings um, that let you have a safe place to hide during the daytime. I really like the progression here, too. So and I kind of liken this a little bit in my mind to Subnautica. But where this kind of differs a little bit is that in order to get new buildings, new abilities, things like that, you don't go find them so much as you go fight bosses. There's like, what? 50 or so bosses at least in this game and that's kind of how you progress to get some new skill or the ability to get like a foundry or or the smelter or whatever like you have to find a boss that's somehow associated with that and then go take them on which is cool mm -hmm. i thought this was where the content completion of the game really surprised me like for an early access game the boss content in this game is outstanding like there's a ton of stuff here and like you said, Clint, uh, I think I made it less far than you. I'm, I was maybe mid-game after a couple dozen, you know, you know um, maybe almost 20 hours probably. And, um, you know, it, they kept uh, iterating on the mechanics and how they use them in this game very well with the boss fights. Uh, so, yeah, kudos to them for making sure that this had a long runway uh, and feeding it back into that base building thing. Yeah, I didn't feel a lot of repeats either. That was the cool thing. Like, the bosses never really repeated themselves too much, and they all had some kind of unique ability. And again, while you would always get like a new building you could build or something like that, you'd also get a new skill, and it was something that the boss did. And I felt like, now again, mm -hmm. we only got through half of them, so maybe they started repeating after a while, but I felt like they were all unique enough to be memorable on their own. I've gotten, I think, the farthest out of any three of us in the game, and I can confirm that, yeah haven't seen a repeat and even just kind of like style or flavor of a boss yeah it's uh it's it's very key to it and, and in fact i think it's so key that the i think second big uh uh thing you build in your base is the blood altar which allows you to track the bosses or the v blood of the bosses aka the vampire blood uh hence the ability to absorb skills from them um, but there's a lot of other things you can build in your base. You can do crafting stations, refining stations for your materials. Um, you know, it's kind of, it's fun. It's always fun to make a little base. Um, you know, and let's face it, vampire castles are awesome. There's a whole series <laughs> built on vampire castles. It's called Castlevania. Maybe you've heard of it. Um, and it feeds into that Diablo thing well, too, because the town was a big thing in Diablo. And now you can just move around and create your own town. You got your own town, and you stock it with its own townspeople eventually <laughs> by using your vampire powers to enthrall a servant to come back and work for you. And after, you know, a little while, you can start equipping these servants with your old swords and gear and everything and then send them out to get resources for you. Mm. Special mention of one of my favorite... Um, 
uh, stations in the castle to the mimic treasure chest that breaks down items. Really like the uh, art and animation on that guy. Very cool. (laughs) (laughs) Salvaging um, items to get their raw ingredients when you need to with your buddy the mimic. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the big successes of this game, just from a theming standpoint, was I felt like I was playing a vampire. You know, like so many games could just, oh, you're doing a, you're playing a vampire. You're just a badass in combat. Uh, not here. Like here, I was, uh, I had vampire servants. I was building a castle. Um, I got vampire powers. Like I could turn into a rat or a wolf or a bat or things like that. You're, um, you're going through like these towns and you're being like, whose blood do I want? Who has a really good blood tonight? Oh. Over there, yeah, that guy. That guy's going to give me, like, good stuff tonight. So you're like, um, you felt like you were playing a vampire. Yeah, the theming was strong for sure. I'm with you on that to a point, um, but I also felt that it kind of worked against itself a little bit because as a vampire, I expect to be, you know, my archetypical vampire that I like in a video game is the a la carte model. You are a badass. You have unknown mysterious powers. You're superhuman. Uh, and in this game, maybe I just sucked at it, but I often felt overmatched. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, that was one thing that I think sort of took away from the vampiriness of it was the fact that I often died, but Hey, like I said, maybe I just suck. Well, one other thing that can die in this game is your base itself. Uh, (laughs) Maybe a bit of a controversial game design decision, but uh, you have to constantly, not constantly, but like, um, I guess in the vanilla rules, like every day or so, come back to your base and feed it the blood essence, the kind of um, leftovers of your enemy's corpses. You got to give that back to your base to keep it around otherwise everything falls apart yeah i'll be honest uh when i first suggested this game to you guys i went and i read a little bit into it more and then i saw this mechanic and i almost decided to say never mind but luckily we did find that server that was a little a lot more forgiving actually i think it was like by the time we were done it was like eight times uh degradation was was slowed down so i can't imagine what that would have been at the beginning you'd have to have logged in every single day pretty much Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the decay thing, you know, this is apparently a common thing in these survival type games. It, it was in Valheim. I don't know if you noticed that while you were playing that with us or with uh, the group, Josh. But, you know, rain would sort of deteriorate your, your buildings over time and that too. And you had to actually repair them with materials. It's true, but that seemed less um, quantitative. Yeah. Like this yeah. had a number. Your your base will die in four hours and 32 minutes. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I hear you. And the one other thing that I felt a little bit was undercut by the base building aspect of this game is you will likely build your base near the start at the bottom. Uh, Clint was smart enough to put us more centrally located when he uh, sort of staked out a spot for the three of us to build our initial bases. But this is a big map and your castle quickly becomes too big to move easily. And that means you will be running around a lot. I did do a late game base move up to by the cursed woods before I started exploring those. And I had to go traverse the map six times to get everything (laughs) from one base to the other. And uh, there is fast travel in this game. You can use waypoints unless you have resources with you. There's a lot of items that cannot be teleported. So you got to jump on a horse and 
haul ass over to the new They place. really need to make a chest that can exist in two bases that share items. That would be... Maybe they well, do. Yeah. We, we didn't get that far. Maybe that's an endgame that thing. Yeah. I don't know. But if not, guys, please make that. Yeah, or just maybe, and maybe this was just a, a aspect of the server we were on, but I still don't understand why they do this thing where you can't teleport with materials. Um, it It's just a time tax, and like everything else that we liked about the customization of this game, removing the time tax is key. Um, yeah, a time tax is a mortal sin for me. Like, I will See, just not play a game if it has an onerous time tax. Yeah, and I gotta be honest, I feel like, as, as this game was super charming for me. I really liked the aesthetic and the feel, and the combat was really cool, but most of this game was nothing but time tax. In real time, your shit's breaking down. You gotta come back to get it. Oh, you can't travel with items, so you're gonna spend three hours doing that. Like, I'm a dad. I don't have time for that. I have to keep people alive over here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Not just my fake vampire castle. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, I've got I, a, I can hazard a guess as to why you couldn't do that. Um, for the PvP aspects, I think this was designed as a PvP game. And mm. if you have to mule it back to your base, which could be across half the map, you're a juicier target as opposed to if you know you're you can just teleport back at the nearest teleportation thing and you don't have to um, worry about getting ganked as much. Yeah, probably gives probably gives the person a chance to come back and get their stuff before you just disappear with it after hitting them one time, basically. You hit the nail on the head, Josh, and I agree with you, Clint. It's just um, it's a, a fact of how the game was designed and what they had in mind as priorities. And, um, you know, it just doesn't mesh with uh, how we necessarily prefer to play and that's okay you know not every game's for everyone um but uh that was one aspect that definitely uh i i I hear that definitely didn't uh rub me the right way i suppose Uh, one aspect that did generally hit for me was the combat in this game. I felt like it was quite snappy, sharp. Um, it felt a lot like sort of a more uh, mechanically intensive version of the Diablo combat, right? You're using skills, the weapon skills and spells that you're given access to feel pretty good, and it was hard. Like the, It's pretty well balanced, uh, generally speaking. I feel like the game's combat was designed around maneuver. I feel like they took a page actually more out of um, the MOBA scene, like League of Legends and whatnot, rather than Diablo, in terms of where they were looking for inspiration. Um, This game was all about making sure you were in the right position to avoid enemy attacks. Um, And then even like the UI they had when you are about to launch your axes off into the axe spin move or you're about to um charge someone with the first ultimate attack you get uh like the arrows that show up or those things very much remind me of the league of legends that i've played yeah that that actually makes sense to me and it i think it also sort of speaks to the developer's history like they were uh, multiplayer pvp um, sometimes arena-based games, you know, so they have a pedigree in designing games with that style. Um, apparently a lot of the mechanical things that they had in um, those previous games for PvP were like cancellations of enemy spells and moves and things of that nature, and they're talking about bringing that into this. But that being said, just the way the skills feel in this game seem really tight, and they, it was always exciting to get a new one. 
Yeah, and like we said earlier, like there wasn't a whole lot of overlap, and I can only imagine that that plays really well into the whole PvP side of things, which we didn't experience as much of, but it's certainly... We like had to plan out boss fights, Josh. I remember <laughs> you were like, okay, we got such and such a guy, he does this kind of attack, so we need to counter with this kind of thing. Like, I wasn't expecting that when I first came into this game. I was like, this is going to be a hack and slash, but no. Most of the time it is, but when you get into big things like bosses or PvP, it does take some planning. I mean, uh, once you got to those mid-game bosses, how often were you doing normal attacks on them? Yeah, almost never. It was all waiting for skills to recharge or you know, doing some tactical dodges to wait for a spell to uh, have its cooldown complete. And uh, to your point, um, making sure you had the right element to go up in, against an enemy, the right weapon type, and... Um, there is levels in this game, like your character is given a level based on their equipment, but I often felt like that didn't necessarily correspond to my effectiveness all that much. You could either outpunch your weight class pretty easily or punch dramatically below it in some cases. <laughs> yeah, there were some that were super frustrating. I'm like, I'm 10 levels above this. Why? The, the butterfly lady. You remember her, Josh? I feel like I died to her a hundred times. And I found out you soloed her, and I was so mad. I'm like, what did you do? <laughs> like, I, I cannot beat this lady. This was a fun uh, multiplayer kind of thing that wouldn't have happened otherwise. But uh, you beat this butterfly lady, and you can build, like, a fast travel waypoint in your base. And we all had three bases right next to each other. So I, I'm sure Clint logged on one day and saw that I had a waypoint up there. And he's like, son of a bitch. That's exactly <laughs> what happened. I was like, how did this happen? <laughs> While we're on the topic, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit more about the bosses, because I think while combat in general was pretty good, the bosses were where it really shined. And, you know, we already talked about how varied they are, how many different ones there are. The rewards were really good, but just the act of fighting them, like... Um, they all had their own sort of biomes that they were present in, or they were wandering around on the map, and you could just haphazardly run into them, which was always an exciting time if you hit a vampire that just or vampire <laughs> hunter that just had a skull next to it. <laughs> the skull meaning that it was way too powerful for you. Some of my craziest were when we ran into two at the same time. Like I remember the uh, the old lady that we were going after. She's like, she's helpless, no big deal. And then all of a sudden, there's a vampire hunter that randomly walk through town at the same time and you're like oh shit now there's two <laughs> yeah this game had a bunch of different factions the enemies could belong to the chief ones being bandits militia creatures or uh, undead and you would be able to uh, find these factions fighting each other they don't just hate you but they hate each other too and in fact, one of the um, bosses you fight, Meredith the Bright Archer, you find her in the Haunted Iron Mines, and I'm fairly certain that when you fight her, you are supposed to fight her when this undead commander, like, mini-boss uh, guy is fighting her, too, because she was a hard boss to beat until I caught her with half health, because she was going up against this, uh, you know, 50-foot skeleton, and... Um, <laughs> They only hang out in the mines. They're supposed, like, they're meant to do that. And uh, it was really cool to be able to, like, pounce on her after she killed me so many times beforehand. Yeah, I really like the factionalization thing going on here. It reminded me of uh, the Caves of Cud that we just uh, played and talked <sighs> about, too, Josh. You know, um, 
it's really fun to get enemies to kill each other. It really like feeds into that vampire manipulation aspect of things. Um, and of course, it also just makes the world feel much more alive. Like if you you know wander upon a rock golem out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden you can find a bear and uh, get one of them to hit the other one, um, you're in for a much easier fight. Or if you come across like, oh, there was a huge battle here. Look at all this loot. Score. Yeah. <laughs> Some of my best looting was after a fight I didn't even participate in. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the other recent games this reminds me of a little bit is uh, Death's Door. And mm. the Death's Door, like the enemies had very simple attacks. Uh, and same thing in this game. Like your your standard, uh, your standard mooks would have one attack, maybe two attacks. They would... Uh, throw at you and you'd learn to deal with that with your abilities the bosses would have not super tons of attacks like three four five different moves maybe on and they'd all be interesting and unique later on but it um lent itself to like you learn the boss fairly quickly and then you're able to maneuver around where you need to go pretty quickly after that there was sort of a phase aspect to the bosses too, which I uh, often got surprised by. They would, you know, uh, unveil another part of their move set after fifty percent health or something like that, and uh, that usually caused me to need another run at uh, any given boss because, uh, <laughs> you know, like any good uh, game with hard bosses, see, say the Souls series for example, um, the first run is always just the one where you figure out the the pattern in the move set. One more thing I guess we should mention is that since this is a co-op game, they don't tell you this is happening, but it's definitely happening. Uh, the bosses scale, depending on how many people are around. We did learn a cool tag team trick where one person would go in alone, take them down to about 50% health. They would <laughs> take off while another person came in before the boss could regain health and, and finish him off. So that technique did work as of early access. So if you guys are having troubles, grab a friend. Just don't go at the same time. Tag team in. I thought this multiplayer scaling was frankly kind of ridiculous. Like I never had an easier fight joining up with someone no, as opposed I, to doing it solo. Agreed. Like um, I think I did all these bosses solo uh, up to the point I got there. Like I never beat someone for the first time with a friend. Uh, yeah. There is a tipping point. Uh, I guess Tristan is one of the hardest uh, bosses me and the entire server took him on all at one time. I think there was eight of us that were all well, just going after this guy. And he just got destroyed. So I guess if you have like eight friends, cool. If you have two or three, it's way harder. I'm sure they'll they'll fix this scaling as time goes. But it was way harder with two or three people than it was solo. Yeah, that was going to be my main point is how hard it was with just the three of us. And we were, you know, live chatting, you know, like we are right now. So we were coordinated, uh, but we still got absolutely fucked up by bosses when it was three of us versus just one of us going in on it or maybe one of us sucks and uh we we just uh weren't pulling our weight <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that i learned going out with the game that i appreciated later on uh like i i thought the combat was simpler at the beginning and it is before you start picking up new powers and whatnot uh but for a while i I had my favorite skills, and I just used those against every boss I came across, come hell or high water. Um, I feel like I did better in the game once I got to a boss. I had my favorites still, but if those favorites didn't work, I died once. Then I'm like, okay, 
what did this boss do? How did they move about? How did I move about? What did their attacks do? Um, and then what skills should I take this next time? Uh, I think the last like five to 10 bosses I did, I had a different skill combination for each of them. Yeah, that makes sense because you're you're unlocking a lot of them as you start to progress. And that, that tree quickly expands into like a gigantic uh, number of permutations that you could bring into any given battle. It starts off simple, gets much more involved as time goes on. Luckily, it's, it's not linear either. Like you can kind of choose your own path. Like there are multiple bosses in each like stage. So like f- levels five through 10, there's probably at least three or four bosses in that area. And if one was giving you trouble, cool, go get the other one. They might give you a skill that you can come back to the other one and do better with. So, Yeah, it was nice that they sort of had those tiers. I will say it's a really nice point of game design too. If you're designing these bosses where a player like me comes across and I, and they think like, oh, I've got to change up my strategy. I've got to use these skills I wasn't using before in order to overcome this. Like... um kind of Mega Man-esque in a way, although obviously <laughs> Mega Man did it very um, very straightforwardly, like uh, that there was like a weakness you could do over here. It wasn't anything to that extent, but still it was a good piece of game design. Yeah, another thing is it, it's not just the bosses that are gating your progression, it's also the ability to get um, you know new equipment. Like when I got my Iron Crossbow, for example, suddenly the enemies that I knew would be effective to fight with a crossbow uh, were the ones that I immediately went after, you know? So you you have sort of these parallel progression paths. It's both the skills you're unlocking from the bosses, the ability to refine them, the ability to find the materials that you need to refine to make the weapons. It just, all of it feeds back in on itself very elegantly. Um, and I guess all that is to say that uh, this is a well-designed, integrated game with how it's uh, putting all this together. I did kind of like how your level wasn't who you've, or like how many how many people you've beaten, but it was the gear you were wearing. Which that's helpful in a game where it's like PvP oriented, multiplayer based. Like if I had a, um, I needed if I needed to call like Brian or Clinton to my other server where there's a vampire war going on, then they come in, I give them the latest gear, and they are set. They don't that's have right. to, they don't have as many powers as they would, but there's they can still be effective in that situation. Alternatively, you could quickly do a boss rush and get a bunch of powers (laughs) although i will say on the flip side of that equation um one of the things i didn't like about this was that your characters were server specific yeah i I have not found a game that did this as well as terraria yet like terraria seems to have struck the perfect balance with this and i think that's why i'm so like annoyed by the fact that our server went away if i lost my base that would be one thing if I could go to another server with everything that I'd earned and all the, you know, yeah, know character like, skills lost, or character yeah. skills. Yeah. Yeah. We're just back to zero, which I don't know that I'll ever want to go back and play that again. I don't, I don't want to do all that all over again, just to get back to the same spot. And I will say, I can see why they didn't allow that for PVP servers. You don't want sure. like marauding marauding gangs of, high-level vampires coming around and ganking everything and then leaving for the next one. But for sure. PvE, it's like, we're not trying to kill each other. We're just mostly. trying to experience the game. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you on that. And 
it's underrated how much I actually did want to experience the various parts of this game's map, because it's gigantic, and a lot of it is level-gated, right? Like, you can't just start and then uh, see that mountain. You can go there Zelda-style or Morrowind-style, whatever. Um, you know, there are a lot of biomes in this game. You start off in the Farbane Woods, you go to the Dunley Farmlands, and eventually the Silverlight Hills, and... You know, you're finding cool locations, and you, some of it is gated quite heavily by level. So to your guys' point, like, being able to have a highly leveled character that is more transferable would allow you to see more of that game independent of how the server that you're playing on is, um, you know, maintained. Or not maintained, <laughs> the case may be. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, did you guys uh, experience all those different biomes? I'm sure it sounds like you definitely did, but... Um, I didn't go to the Silverlight Hills, but I did do the Cursed Forest, and I liked going to there because I feel like the regular enemy type changed quite a bit over there. Like, um, between the Farbane Woods with the Human Bandit uh, kind of population and the Dunley Farm and Lands with the Human Militia population, you mm. saw a lot of kind of um, repeats of the same class of uh, enemy Whereas you got to the Cursed Woods, there were like invisible stalkers, there were weird witch creatures, ancient shades, like, uh, it got, I feel like the game like picked up for me a little bit going into there because there were so many new patterns and things to learn off of that. Yeah, and I didn't get there. Like, I got straight through, I got those first two areas, which I think are where you got to, Brian. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just going to forever miss those last two or three biomes just because, again, I don't want to do 20 more hours just to get <laughs> the opportunity to yeah. even start it. I could see myself revisiting after several more updates. Uh, then again, I also said that about Valheim a year and a half ago, and I have yet to do that. So um, time will tell. Yeah, the, ba- the <laughs> backlog <laughs> is long, man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you get the an hardcore. early access title like this, and we're playing at the very beginning of that early access cycle. Like, um, it might not be when the game comes out with 1.0 that we come back to revisit it, but a couple years down the line, you know, it would be interesting to come back and see what has changed. Totally. I mean, when did you and I first play, or when did I first play Stellaris? Quite late in its <clears> dev cycle, <throat> and I had a great time with that. Uh, when did I first play RimWorld? quite late in its dev cycle had a great time with that brian's just playing uh, dead space for the first time right now and it's like 12 years old that's right. so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah or another example uh subnautica was a game clint played early at early access no 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 then, i i waited till day one of full release i didn't uh, want <laughs> yeah well that's the thing like these I, I guess that's an interesting thing about early access and like the full featured ones like this especially like you know there's good bones there like the fact that this launched with uh, you know full multiplayer pvp pve um you know self-sustaining or ability to self-procure servers as well as built-in ability to rent them like incredible amount of features for an early access game but at the same time they have a huge trello board of stuff they want to add so yeah you know who knows maybe we'll be back Uh, So with that, um, let's stalk out into the night and hunt down a three-word review. (laughs) 
All right, I'll go first. My three-word review is blood-sucking Tamagotchi. So, <laughs> V-Rising can be a lot of fun, especially when you're playing with your friends. And that being said, the core gameplay loop is filled with more maintenance mechanics than advancement, so it's a good thing that the game has a lot of charm to it. It might just be the point in my life that I'm in right now, but playing a game where I constantly have to be logging in to make sure my castle isn't degrading into nothing, taking all my progress with it in real time while I'm away, uh, and then having to protect it against attacks from kids who are on summer break with unlimited free time while I'm busy, you know, with kids and work. It's just not that fun of a proposition. So, I, like I said before, I have a real house and kids to keep alive, so I don't <laughs> want to have to worry about my virtual castle falling apart. Um, to be completely fair, V-Rising approaches the genre better than others I've tried like Rust, and I did enjoy most of my time with this game, but ultimately I ended up bouncing off before seeing the end because it turned into a bit of a chore. Um, it's also worth noting that these servers get wiped semi-frequently, like we said, and uh, our progress is lost, so if I wanted to return, that wouldn't be an option at this point. So that does, if that doesn't sound interesting to you, be warned now. Um, so if you have unlimited time and you're okay with progress loss, this could be a fun way to spend some time, but if not, I would maybe steer clear of this one for now because despite its charms, it's really just a fancy Tamagotchi that you're trying to keep alive, and as we all know, those things always end up dying no matter what you do. Hate your Tamagotchi. You always remember him, though. Clint with the bleak three word. Sorry, no, that's good. We're gonna do, we're gonna do dark, medium, light. I, it sounds I don't like know how I felt. Episode. Like I said, I enjoyed playing it while I was playing it, but I I didn't like that I had to constantly be babysitting it. No, I, I feel I feel that. Uh, I think I have something to say on that front as well. So, um, my three word review is: Who's your Vladdy? Mm. Vampire games are typically power fantasies. You're an immortal, superhuman, which is anathema to the survival genre, which dines out on disempowerment. It's interesting to see a vampire on their back foot, but it also creates some weirdly arbitrary hurdles. Why am I getting my ass kicked by farmers and soldiers? Why do I need to huddle in the corner of this wooden fort waiting for the sun to set? And why, for the love of God, do I have to manually walk all of my freshly mined ore across the country instead of using the teleportation portal that I created? That being said, the dream of building a vampiric empire and ruling over your thralls with an iron fist does provide a great deal of satisfaction. And whichever way the silver coin lands, it's always fun to play with friends. All that being said, I still can't fully reconcile the two competing elements of this game's premise. Are we subservient to vampiric power fantasy or hardscrabble survival sim? In other words, V Rising, who's your Vladdy? Alright, my three-word review for this game is Boss Base Rhythm. V-Rising is an interesting game that borrows equally from action RPGs and survival games. There's a uh, game world to explore, a fun maneuver-based combat that keeps you on your toes. The core of the game is building your base and collecting materials needed to get up to the next level. Uh, ba but base progress is truly gated, not by the availability of resources, but by the bosses you have defeated. Each boss grants a new power, a new recipe, or crafting station. This creates a great gameplay loop where you raid an enemy base, slay a boss, take their power, and return to your base to unload the loot and start the crafting cycle. Um, doing so allows you to craft better equipment, allowing you to fight better bosses, and so on and so forth. I love loved the combat for this game. The bosses had interesting and uncomplicated movesets. Um, none of them felt unfair if you were appropriately leveled, and none of them outstayed their welcome either. Uh, they were they, These were all very quick boss fights. The to and fro of leaving your castle, raid, boss, and return 
was a satisfied and compelling rhythm to me. Thumbs up for me. I think I'm solidly thumbs sideways. Um, I enjoyed my time with it. Looking back, I, you know, I think as I was formulating the three word, I, I recognized some critiques, but it sounds like you were in the same boat, Clint. <laughs> yeah, my, my thumbs are confused as well. Um, I had an awesome time. I don't know if, if this game was fun or if I just had fun playing with you guys, but the basic core mechanics of the game are still too much maintenance for me and too much real-time degradation. And like I said, if I was at a different stage of my life, if I was in college right now and I had tons of time in my hand, oh, man. this would be great. Yeah, this would be a time sink for sure. Yeah. I will say that I thought that the degradation thing would be a huge turnoff for me. But in practice, I found it wasn't, um, it didn't impact me at all. Like, even at the beginning when we had level one bases, um, I felt like we always covered for each other too. Like, the three we of did, us yeah. as a team made up for that, I'm, I'm calling it an outright deficiency in game design, that things break that fast. That is not a game for, you know most people parents yeah or i mean this is why i bounced <laughs> off of zelda i have no patience for things breaking down in games i play games to have fun i don't want to i don't need to be taught the, the the laws of thermodynamics again in gaming like yeah i get it <laughs> our bodies are breaking down my house is breaking down everything's fucking breaking down my my game doesn't need to break down <laughs> <laughs> yes this perfect digital world <laughs> yeah. remain perfect yeah for me please <laughs> um but um, if you enjoyed this perfectly digital podcast, then I want to ask you to uh, please share it with folks you think might enjoy it as well. And if you want to get in touch, drop us a note at pixelatedplaygrounds at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at pixelplaypod. And for us here at Pixelated Playgrounds, I'm Brian Skersha. I'm Josh Kalecki. And I'm Clint Jones. Take care and keep on hunting. Yeah, I don't know what what. I had an interesting conversation with uh, another game dev um, a little bit ago. He was completely opposed to crafting as a mechanic. He hated in general it. or in this game. Uh, not in this game in particular. Uh, but just in general, he's like, it's dumb, it's not additive, it's, you know, it um, it just is a time sink and just fills out, like, it pads the hours you put into a game. Um, whereas something like Diablo 2, where your better weapons <clears throat> just drop from enemies, like, what's the problem with that? I don't disagree with that, actually. Um, but there are certain times where I do enjoy it, and it really depends on the theme of the game, like... Um, this game I didn't mind it so much because it wasn't just crafting like you would have to go fight a boss, get something, like that was more of the gameplay loop than the crafting. Subnautica was nothing but crafting and I don't know why I liked it in Subnautica and nowhere else, but I did. But you're right, w without all that you would just blast through the game in like five minutes.
Yeah, I think there's there's two approaches, right? There's the you give an item as a reward, or you give the materials and then you make them crafted. And at that point, like this situation I just described, crafting is an, a time tax, which as I've already mentioned, I hate. I think where crafting can be a useful mechanic for a game is when it is in service of flexibility. You get the materials, you decide how to spend them. Yes, survival horror does this best. Um, not not survival games like this one, but survival horror. Like, you can choose, you get such and such an item, do I need this type of ammo, or should I buy, or should I make a health thing out of this, or exactly. whatever. Yeah, you're like, choosing how, how you deal with it. Brian, you're right, that's probably the best iteration of crafting. Something you guys mentioned, too, that I, I think I agree with, is that um, you can have crafting as a side system, where it's not very relevant, but like um, for V Rising or for Subnautica, uh, crafting was progression. It was like a thing you did on the way to that. Like it didn't feel as out of place because you, like you beat a boss or you get to the, uh, the life pod in Subnautica and you're like, okay, I've got a new recipe over here. I can expand my abilities now. Yeah, I think that's fair. Like um, when it's uh, sort of a secondary progression path, it can serve the function of, of that as well. I'm thinking also of a game like um, Elden Ring, which just came out, which has a crafting system that you don't actually have to engage with at all to play the game. But if you have a certain type of character that is um, skilled at using the types of items you can craft, then it suddenly becomes a very central system to the game. So it also can just sort of depend on how you want to tilt how you're interacting with the game. If it's, you know, if a craft, crafting system involved, then you could um, tilt a certain class or something like that towards it. Um, I guess if I'm thinking of, like, places where crafting worked well for me, uh, I'm thinking of Minecraft. That's the whole thing. It's it's in the name, craft. <laughs> but you know, like, that that's all there is to it, really. That was just building, building the world. Yeah. And then maybe one where it's not necessarily central to the game, but I thought it was additive, um, Breath of the Wild. Um, it was a way to uh, make different sort of health and enhancement items, and it, you know, you could situationally make those depending on what you uh, needed at the time. Like I'm thinking about getting resistance potions for going into uh, the Gerudo or the uh, Goron area, or if you know there's a lightning enemy coming up, crafting a resistance to that, etc. I think part of it too is if it fits within the theme of the game. You're talking Breath of the Wild there. Um, out of all of the Zeldas, Breath of the Wild was certainly the most uh, survival-ish kind of thing. You know, you're in your post-apocalyptic world. Um, so I feel like the minor crafting they had involved with that, with cooking meals, fit the theme. I think it has to be thematic, and I think that's probably why I like it in survival horror, and that's probably why I liked it in Subnautica, because that's the situation you were literally dropped into. It's life or death. you got to find things, put together things, and, and, and make the best out of it to survive and, and move on. One game that had both of those and did it well, um, Dying Light. Have you guys played that? Not yet, but I, I know it's on sale right now, so I'm thinking about picking it up. That's a cool I've game. i got the second one, mm. but I haven't played it yet. Oh, yeah, I played the first one. Sorry, I thought you meant the second yeah, one. Yeah, <laughs> any of the above. Like, I could not... Everybody loved Breath of the Wild. Anybody who listened to that pod... Actually, I think we got a negative review on our podcast because I didn't like Breath of the Wild. So, sorry, guys. <laughs> Some dipshit out there was really upset that I didn't have fun with that game. Uh, and if you're still listening, you're not a dipshit. We love you. You already won, Stardust. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Like, we hate you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> what are you going to do? Opinions vary here at <laughs> Playground. This part can be cut. Um, anyway, this is post-roll. No, this part is not getting cut. <laughs> All right, well, then I'm... Uh, this is what they come for. Then I'm doubling down. You, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, they did have weapon degradation. It was a lot slower, and I think that's why I put up with it. But it also allowed you to do like things like modifiers. So crafting wasn't necessary there either. So if you didn't want to do it, you didn't have to. But you could craft these like... Uh, you could put like a battery on your on your axe, and now it's an it's got like an Electric electrical axe, shock yeah. or whatever. Yeah, like when crafting is I don't like it when crafting is required. It when it's like an additive, like here's something extra you can do on top. That's pretty cool too. Thinking about how that like fitting the theme too. Like um, one game I think that did crafting well was Arcanum. Which was kind of a steampunk RPG, where it was like magic versus technology, and they hate each other. Um, and one of my my favorite characters was a kleptomaniac, pyromaniac, genius inventor, who would like rummage through trash cans and invent grenades out of garbage and use those for combat. And it w- it felt like very in character that this guy was just like. Victorian mad scientist throwing shit together out of whatever he finds. He's a perfect anarchist in the making. <laughs> um, no, that was a good question. Um, well, I'll tell your game dev friend I hope that answers this question from a bunch of amateurs and know-nothings. <laughs> <laughs> 